Hello, everyone. This is Joyce Davis, Pin Live's opinion editor, ready to talk some interesting issues here on our next Battleground PA. You know, the Chinese curse says you should live in interesting times. <laughs> have we been cursed? <laughs> so stay tuned. We'll be right back with our analysts, Rajat Harris and Jeffrey Lord on another Battleground PA. This is Battleground PA, a pen live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, we're back. And if you'd like to join us, you can do so by sending an email to topics at battlegroundpa.org, or you can join us on Facebook and Twitter at battlegroundpa. So with that, I'm going to just go right ahead and bring in my trusted analyst here, Jeffrey Lord, the Republican, and Rajette Harris, our Democrat. Welcome, guys. How are you doing? Great. Great. In interesting times. Yes, in interesting times. I yeah, you like I actually threaded up that Chinese curse to somebody the other day. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, because it's true. Honestly, who could have imagined we would be dealing with what we're dealing with right now? I mean, I'm sure some people did imagine. I'm hearing all of these science aside tech books or whatever, science fiction books that thought of pandemics, but I don't think any one of us would have would have said we'd be where we are today with the global economy shutdown with America at a standstill. I mean, who who would have thunk it with us staying home and having to work from home for basically weeks on end, and it may end up being months on end. So that's what I want to start with today. We're starting to get antsy, right? Americans are ready to rock and roll again. We're ready to get out of their, our houses and go back to normal. But the federal government, the Trump has left it up to the governors to decide. I, and we can talk about whether that's a good decision. But it is in their hands, and some are deciding to open. Not our governor yet. He's going to do it slowly. and But some are just swinging the doors wide open. Let's start with you, Jeffrey, because it, it looks like that's more of a Republican stance to just let's open and get back to work. Am I right? Well, I'm a big believer in federalism. And who knows the state of Georgia better than the governor of Georgia or the state of Pennsylvania better than the governor of Pennsylvania? I just think you have to be careful. You have to be prudent, measured in all of this. You know, in terms of our state, you know, I was thinking of this just yesterday. When I started out as a staffer in the Pennsylvania State Senate, I learned very quickly that there was a saying that some senators and representatives in the legislature represented urban areas and others represented what were called (laughs) bears and trees, meaning that they were very rural districts. And I think that both within Pennsylvania and nationally, you have sort of the same version of this. You have counties and states that don't have a high urban density where people are all packed together and that that can make a difference as you slowly reopen. Basically, you're you're supporting kind of a targeted approach. Let the governors decide where they can reopen. I guess the problem that I'm having with that is that the virus doesn't seem to know boundaries, nor do we when we start getting out. I mean, I can be on the East Shore right now and then go on the West Shore. I could be in Philadelphia in an hour. I mean, Rajet, I mean, I, what are your thoughts on this? Well, let's look at some of the numbers. You know, unemployment in 1933 at the height of the depression, unemployment spiked at around 25%. The labor of industry is predicting that by June of this year, 
our unemployment route could be 20% or higher to try to give it sort of, you know, a visual of kind of where we are. Pennsylvania currently has over a million jobless claims, and that's just people out of work. That doesn't count people whose hours have been cut off, who's working part-time, who's working from home, things of that nature. So there's a lot of noise on both sides. The problem is we don't have the testing. Mm, And and in in a lot of these states are reopening and there aren't requirements as far as wearing a mask, things of that nature. So even though we've kind of curved the spike, it could spike up again and then we have to close everything down again. So to me, the issue isn't necessarily reopening. It's are we prepared to reopen? And we don't have the testing. We just don't have the testing. On that point, on your first point, uh, Rogette, I have to tell you, the New York Times has a, has a story today that says the GDP is expected to show a shrinking economy and get ready with worse to come. So, I mean, it's pretty bad now, but what does worse could, global stocks are, are mixed? I mean, the stock market is up and down and up and down. And, and you're right, the unemployment rates are there. So, Jeffrey, I know this is this is not what Donald Trump likes. This is not what he wanted. And yet I have not heard him really pushing. In fact, he was a bit upset with the if if we're to believe, you know, he's a bit upset with the Georgia governor for actually right. swinging the doors open. So how do you balance this? Well, you know, I, I certainly am not going to play scientist here, but all I can say is just in reading various scientific information that spills out in the op-ed pages with various and news pages of various places. I wonder if the whole lockdown deal has not been overplayed and whether or not there is something to this. What I have learned is called herd immunity, that we're better off going out there and this dissipates itself in some fashion by what immunizing the, the greater collection of people. I mean, I certainly don't know the answer to that, but you know, we're going to be examining what was done and what is being done for years and years and years to come. And I imagine at some point we'll, the experts amongst us will come up with answers as to how not to do it if something occurs like this again. Well, but that, it's, that's a good point. This has all been so new. That's why they call it the novel coronavirus. But I will tell right. you, I've talked to several doctors on, you know, on my Facebook lives and all that, and None of them think we're recommending this herd immunity theory. They, not the scientists, not the, no one. Because, well, look at what we're looking at now. They're now, the latest information is that the death count could double. I mean, that it's not accurate. This is a a really serious thing we've been dealing with. And there is a theory. I can tell you, I've got an op-ed here from someone who recommending that just let people die, but get the economy open. <laughs> you know, just just weed out the weak and let's get let the strong go on with it. I don't necessarily think we want to go there, do we, guys? Well, again, well, we have the extreme on both sides. You know, we have people who think if you care about your financial health, and there are some people who have that opinion, like you mentioned, but I don't think that's the wide, you know, the wide majority of people. And even though medicine is not exact and there are different opinions among doctors, but the one thing that, and this is going to be kind of my theme today on the podcast, the one thing they all, (laughs) the one thing they all agree on is that we need testing. Yeah. There are too many people who, who knows who has the virus now that aren't showing symptoms that could be out in Georgia, 
out, I don't know, going to the uh, salon or whatnot because they don't show symptoms, because they don't have a temperature, but they could pass it to someone else. I think if we had the testing capabilities, I think I read in PenLive it was actually that Pennsylvania is doing about 5,000 tests a day, but that needs to be way over 20,000 a day for people to be comfortable to be able to reopen everything up. I think if we had the testing, this conversation would be very different, but we just don't. And it's not worth the chance because we can't have that number of 57,000 just doubling or tripling. Well, do you agree, Jeffrey? I mean, the testing to me, I think she's right, is the key. Although even that seems to be still kind of risky. Let's just say you tested me today and I just fine, but I walk out and have a hamburger and touch something where a coronavirus and within two minutes, I'm back in the office spreading the virus. Right. You know, is right. testing really the answer? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the quandary. All I'm seeing is anecdotal evidence. I mean, if you remember the other week, there was a big hoo-ha about voting in Wisconsin yep, and yep. people showing up at the polls. Now, I have since seen stories that there was not, I think as a matter of fact, I've seen stories on each side one side saying there was no massive surge in the virus in Wisconsin as a result of that. And I think I did see one that said the opposite. I, I, I'm sure if that if the latter were true, we would be hearing a lot about it. For better or worse, uh, our friends in Georgia are going to carry the brunt of this. We will find out, I imagine, fairly quickly if this was the right or wrong thing to do. And we'll find out even here with the with the thousand or so that turned out for the capital. But I will tell you, that's why people are doubting the, the, some of these statistics. I was on with the coroner, Graham Hetrick and the coroner from York, and they really do not believe the figures are accurate, that they do not believe we're getting a good count. It just doesn't jive with what their stats are showing. They're far more in, in, can, I mean, can I ask, we're not getting a good count in what sense, that there's too many being counted or too little or what? No, their sense was, I, I delved into the, their sense was that it's, it's an undercount, that there are far more deaths because, for example, oh. people are dying at home and nobody's there to really determine what was the call, whether coronavirus was involved. The sense is that these numbers are grossly under. That, but until we get better it, testing, it, until we get better testing, though, not just better testing, but we have to get more accurate testing. And yeah. kind of going back to a point that was made, any type of test, regardless of that test, your cholesterol level, it's that snapshot in time. I could get a blood test today, have perfect cholesterol, perfect blood pressure, and tomorrow it could be high. So if we're going to use that for everything, then we might as well not get tested for anything, just go out, live our lives, and hope for the best. But there's also a problem with the testing, and I know we're going to get into this later on uh, with the vice president. But we also need more accurate testing as well, that there's been a lot of false negatives and are false positives. So again, because this is so new, unfortunately, the doctors don't really have a lot, a long time to learn about it. You know, we still don't exactly know how people completely get this. Do we get this? And one of the things that disturbs me, and I think we've discussed this before, is if you have the virus, but it doesn't cause your death, but you've drop dead of a heart attack or you get cancer 
and that is somehow being attributed to the virus. I, that just doesn't seem kosher to me. I, well, that, you know. frankly, that's why the coroners say they need to be at the table so they can help them determine. You can have a cause of death and then you have can, can have contributors to that. And if your body is weakened by this, then it, rather than be the cause of death, it could be a contributing factor. But let, we've right. talked enough about this. Let's zero in. I will say this. I do think Rochette raises a good point about the accuracy of the test, but you can't compare a contagious disease to something that's not contagious. So your cholesterol test and your high blood pressure test is one thing. I'm not going to get it because your tests are inaccurate, but I might get it from the coronavirus if that's, if that test doesn't work or, or you can okay, I'll compare, I'll compare it to HIV then. One test well, could be positive and then it could be negative. It has to be real direct contact. It's not like you pass by me and breathe on me and I get it. it this is completely different, I think. And it does call us Everybody has the responsibility here. So, Jeffrey, I want to talk about now where Rajette was leading us. What is it that the vice president went to the Mayo Clinic and didn't wear a mask? I mean, okay, let's hear you defend that one, Jeffrey. Well, I honestly don't know. I mean, I saw the picture. The vice president is the head of the task force clearly is. I suspect that it was deliberate to set an example. I don't no, the answer to it is, is I'm going to walk into the hospital, Harrisburg Hospital. With right. My well, you would you would think that under those circumstances, uh, with all those doctors around, they would have said, "Sir, here's your mask." I think the stories that are coming they out. They did. He was asked to put a mask on. He chose not to put it on, and then to use the excuse that I get tested every week and I don't have it. Number one, that shows, in my opinion privilege how some people are able to get tested other people can't get tested even once number mm -hmm. two when you're in a leadership position you have to lead by example that was a conscious decision not to put a mask on and and it just shows that well maybe if you put that up there with nancy pelosi going to chinatown <laughs> and saying come to chinatown you're talking about the vice president of the United States as a head or the of, speaker of the uh, House of the United States, the head, number three person, that is head of this task force, and the doctors they asked him to put a mask on, and he chose not to, and that's just a wrong decision. And you know what? One wrong doesn't make a right. And I you think we've got to really take a look look at He's another issue here, if you don't mind, guys. I, I hear you on this, but I think we got to look at. We do have a president who's given some really strange guidance to people. Or I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, I watched that briefing. Okay. It, it never even occurred to me. I mean, all the things they've said about him since, it never even occurred to me when I listened to him. I understand perfectly what he was saying, that there is science, there's possibilities out there, that you know we need to see what they are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He was not saying drink Lysol. I mean... That's just ridiculous on the face of it. I guess I guess the, the issue here is as someone who's worked, you know, as a communications director for for a, a mayor and has been involved in it, we always are concerned about confusion, spreading confusion. That's why the language needs to be precise and the musings need to go on behind the scenes, but not in public because people do misinterpret. You have all kinds of people out there. I, I mean, I don't know. I just can't quite figure out. I can see them doing that behind the scenes with the with the people and just exploring. But it's hard to imagine that being done in public with people who might. Well, I, I just thought this was, you know, uh, you know as, as Sherlock Holmes would say, elementary, my dear Watson. I mean, there are all kinds of possibilities that we are unaware of here about how to treat this. 
Right. And, and so they, we, they so need to they need to be explored. That's really all he was saying. We do have him on camera, and words matter. And as president of the United States, you have to be very, very careful what you say. Yeah, but uh, he, he didn't Lysol, say anything that was amiss. The company Lysol actually put out a statement telling people, "Do not drink or inject yourself with our products." I mean, they well, felt but he he made no reference to it whatsoever. I mean, he, this is coming from the media. This is not coming from him. They're showing the video. He's on video saying I, that. Why I watched it live. I've seen the video. He and never I, says in just Lysol. Never. Offices for two days after that. What? Well, well guys, look, we, we'll leave it here, but uh, it's clear while Jeffrey did not interpret it that way, there were millions of people that did, which is why my I get down to the precision of language if you're a leader. We just don't have it. We're going to have to stop right here. But when we come back, we're going to pick up on this issue of the vice presidency and who's the best person to run with Joe Biden and what the issues might be. We're back and we hope you're ready for a good discussion on the vice presidency, at least where the Democrats are concerned. Again. You can join us at Battleground PA on Twitter or Facebook or send us an email at topics at battlegroundpa.org. So let's get started. Let's talk about Stacey Abrams and the Democrats. And she seems to be putting herself out there as um, willing to serve. Uh, is this really a good candidate for you, Rochelle, as vice president on the platform with Joe Biden? Let's look at Joe Biden's deficits in a way. He needs someone that's younger. He needs someone that's more progressive. He needs someone that has connections to a base that isn't as warm to him. And Stacey Abrams does bring that. With that said, I'm not endorsing anyone for vice president mm -hmm. at this time. You know, she wants the job. She's putting her name out there. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. What do you think, Jeffrey? Is, she, is uh, Trump quaking in his boots over this? No. No, I, I just instinctively think that given Joe Biden's particular situation, whoever his number two is, it needs to be somebody who has held public office, who's very experienced, et cetera. I mean, let's face it. She ran one losing race for governor of Georgia. That's it. No, I, no, I, I just I mean, she I mean, from a Republican point of view, she'd be perfect. <laughs> no disrespect to Jeffrey, but what qualifications did Donald Trump have or what office did he hold before he became the most powerful person in this world, President of the United States? It's just well, hard he to ran, the public sure, go with someone. Sure, no, I, I, I understand yeah. your point, but, uh, you know, he's twice her age. He had all kinds of experience in the private sector, but more to the point, the only office he ran for was president and he won and the voters made their decision. She's run for office once and lost. No, that's not true. She was actually minority, the minority leader in the state Senate. So she has held public well, office. Not all, all, all I'm saying is that from a Republican perspective, what will be said is mm -hmm. Joe Biden isn't well. He's probably not. He may not survive the term or he may not know what he's doing if he gets elected. And she would effectively be president. Where does it come and, that Joe Biden isn't well? Where is that coming from? Well, you just watch him. Listen to him. I mean, he misspeaks all the time. Sometimes he. You know, when he was out on the stump, he didn't know where he was. I mean, he Lord, sounds very confused. President, President Bush misspoke a lot. I mean, and and I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, 
We, well, no, 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 no. There's, there, there's a. I think there's a very clear difference in that. This is going to be a real problem for him. And frankly, I think a lot of Democratic leaders know it. But their alternative was Bernie Sanders, whom they definitely didn't want, and so they went with him. And they're stuck here let's, in this let's situation. Move to Bernie. I'm glad you brought up Bernie. Uh, Bernie, his name is off the ballot in New York. What's going on, Roger? I don't know. My understanding is since he in essence, step out of the race, because there's no, quote, primary in that race, they decided uh, to remove him from the ballot. Um, I do know Bernie and his campaign's upset, and some of his supporters are as well. But that's my understanding of the situation. I mean, we're, we're going to have another thing here. I mean, I don't know how it's going to be resolved with progressive feeling like they're being shunted aside, and uh, the young people feeling like their voice isn't being heard, and da 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 I I would not have done that. I don't think it's worth the possible fallout from it. I personally would not have, would not have agreed to that. Yeah, we certainly agree. I mean, I I just think this was a bad decision, whoever made it, whether it's the New York Democratic Party or the governor or whomever, but uh, they should have just let let sleeping dogs lie, leave him alone, leave his name on the ballot, and whatever happens, happens. And to be perfectly candid, I don't think he was going to win anyway. And to do this is just going to antagonize his supporters who are not in the happiest condition anyway. I, I just I can't imagine what they were thinking when they did this. So this is kind of a present to the Republicans, I would think. But 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 to be fair, one of the reasons that I saw at least read that they gave was they were going to not have that primary, at least in, in some part. And, it, they, you know, it was considering the coronavirus and trying to keep people from having to come out and do that. Do you buy that, Rochette, or you think that's just an excuse? The problem is that the other races are still going to be on the ballot. So people are still going to be going to the polls. That's my understanding of it. They didn't cancel the entire primary. They only canceled the presidential aspect of it. Now, right. you do have people who will only go out and vote for president. So the turnout will probably be a lot lower because of that. Uh, we had two primaries yesterday, and my understanding is the turnout was lower because there's no more, there's no longer a competitive race on the presidential level. So that probably will keep more people home. And as we all know, New York, especially New York City, is is the hardest hit in the country. Right. Right. So right. you have to keep all of that in mind as we, you know, as we move forward. Well, I want to move forward and, and really just end on this issue, let you guys debate again this this mail and at least get your thoughts if anything's changed with that. But before we do, I do have to at least come up and address this issue that once again, we have a lady who's come out to allege sexual misconduct against the candidate. This seems to be, as I say, deja vu all over again, but Tara Reid, a former staffer for Joe Biden, has some pretty outrageous claims there. I mean, pretty, well, at least surprising claims that he cornered her or whatever. I mean, how is this playing? Is this likely to have any impact on his campaign, Roger? Well, if we look in the past of men, particularly who's been accused of any type of sexual harassment or assault, including Donald Trump. Voters seem to not look at that. We, we saw that with the Supreme Court Justice uh, Kavanaugh, and that was public. The hearing and everything was public in the public's eyes. I don't think voters necessarily look at that anymore. With that said, this woman has come forward, and I'm sure her, her story will come out more and more, and we'll just have to see how the voters react. Now, yeah. I'm personally of the view that you know, both sides should have a chance to come out, meaning she has a right to tell her story, 
But Joe Biden also has the right to respond be before any type of judgment is made. So I, I left that with everyone. But I'll tell you, Jeffrey, one of the questions that I always have with this is, is that it does seem opportunistic frequently. Why wait until someone is out there? Why? I mean, if this is real, why not come out earlier? Why not? You know, I mean, although people, women will get their sense of right and wrong differently, I guess. So, I mean, the, do you feel that this is perhaps opportunistic coming out of the time? I mean, this guy has been in office and in public eye for decades. And it's just coming out. Yeah. Uh, and the, the notable thing, I think, as this kind of thing goes, is this woman is a Democrat. She is not a Trump supporter. She's not in this to, you know, as it were, play politics. I just think that this is, you know, be careful what you wish for. And all of the hoo-ha over Justice Kavanaugh, which appeared out of the blue and was all about an accusation from high school. and this went on for weeks on end, and, and a massive amount was made from this. Okay, fine. Having now done that, it is going to be very hard to get this woman to be quiet, because you're going to get people, certainly in the conservative media, it's already happened, covering her, as it were, night and day. And it's going to be very difficult for, you know, let, let's just pick, I mean, one thing that I said in the American Spectator this week. Think of Kamala Harris. Now, here she is as a presumed front runner for vice president on the Biden ticket. And she not only was on the Senate Judiciary Committee and made much of Justice Kavanaugh, but a year after, I mean, I went back and took a look at this, a year after his confirmation, she wrote this long piece in Elle magazine saying that he should be investigated and impeached. Mm. Well, you, you can only imagine, I mean, in her argument, I mean, I, I read the entire article, well, he's in a position of power and, you know, this, this is just not right, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you're not going to get any more powerful than being a president of the United States. My point is, if she gets picked, this is going to be a question for her. I think it's going to be a question, period. But particularly if she gets picked, they're going to ask her. Yeah, yeah. Rajat, don't you agree that this is going to create a little bit of a complication for, for the Democrats? Well, it's it's not wanted, of course. <laughs> I definitely can't can't lie about that. Um, it's it's definitely a distraction that we don't need. You know, bringing up Senator Harris, her background would actually maybe help with this because I'm sure she's prosecuted these type of cases in the past and could maybe even, regardless if she's picked or not, help the party sort of navigate through this because of her background as a former AG. My understanding is, and, and I don't know all the details of what this woman is alleging, but I just want to say, you know, as she claims something happened, I'm of the mind that you should come forward right away. But as we know, that doesn't always happen. But she's going to have to be heard and Joe Biden's going to have to respond to it. And again, I don't want to jinx myself, but with Justice Kavanaugh, it was more than one woman that came forward. And that's another reason and, why there was sort of like a narrative that this was sort of like a pattern with him back when he was in school with his friends and whatnot. In this case, it, it's one woman. And again, she has the right to be heard. So I do want to stress that. Um, but Joe Biden, you know, the party is going to have to respond to this. And hopefully it's not a distraction for the whole year. And I don't think it will be only because other problems we have. I do think that healthcare 
and jobs slash the economy is going to be the main issues surrounding this year's election because of the coronavirus. I do think that is going to change the elections. First of all, whatever happened or didn't happen, happened when he was a sitting United States senator, not a kid in high school. But the problem I think that they're going to have right away is he's a graduate of the University of Delaware, and he arranged to give his Senate papers to the University of Delaware. That's fine, sort of typical, normal, et cetera. The day before he announced he was running for president, they changed the terms of agreement of opening the Senate papers from two years after his retirement from public life to two years down the road here. In other words, his papers have been sealed. And this woman is asking that they be opened so that they can go to the personnel records of the day. That could be a problem. Well, we will have to say, though, that sexual assault against a woman is you just can't brush it off and saying when you're a kid, it's wrong if you're 16, 18, 34 or 64. I understand. But what is not present when you're a kid is the power situation of an employer. I I mean, whether he was a United States senator or the head of a, a, a CEO of a company, but he was a sitting United States senator. He was her boss. That's a whole different ball of wax. I think we're all on the same page that if any of this happened, it certainly wasn't good. And certainly no. people ought to be held accountable for it, whether they were high schoolers or not. My only question is, you know, it, it does rest with people have to be credible. You have to be able to convince people beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's easier done when you come forward quickly and not waiting until someone's in the limelight of running for president or even for Supreme Court justice. So yes. with that... <laughs> I'm going to have to leave it. And thank you both for joining me on another Battleground PA. As you can see, we have so much to talk about. We could be here for two hours. But And I want to thank our uh, audience, uh, the, the readers of Penn Live, for being a part of this conversation. And with that, I thank you all and see you next week. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at Battleground PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. More info and past episodes can be found at battlegroundpa.org.